episode is brought to you by Marketing Directive. Marketing Directive is your digi-marketing solution with a team of marketing specialists operating remotely to maximise your marketing levers and focus on your business objectives. Explore more at marketingdirective.co. Welcome to All Things Small Biz, a podcast to help you take the leap and run your own business from someone who has done it themselves and wants to share what they learnt with you. Hello and welcome to the All Things Small Biz podcast. My name is Sarah Hales, your host, and today we will be talking about how to pivot within your business. Today, we'll be talking with Sarah Calmetta, who is the founder of Pivot Point, and it's a little bit of a milestone because Sarah is our first American guest. So, before we get into our chat with Sarah, as always, we'll welcome in Brian. How Um, are you? Lovely, thank you. Had a good day? Look, some things are best not said. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I'm going to hear about that later. Hey, so, um, Brian, any wins of the week? Well, I had a win. Yes, what was it? $50 fuel voucher. Oh, yes, that was a good win, especially given the price of fuel at the moment. I nearly got mugged. (laughs) On your way out of the club. Oh, that's funny. Business wins of the week? I believe our designs have been confirmed. I just believe that our professionalism is not up to scratch because I just heard my phone in the background. I'll have to pop that on silent. But yeah, we have had quite a few uh, new designs in the pipelines and Mm. they are getting approved by you and I. Um, Yeah, I'm the QA guy. (laughs) But um, we are moving forward with some new designs and that is exciting. But what else has been going on around the place, Brian? Do we want to have a chat about... Our dinner event. Yes, yeah, righto. Bring it up. Come on. So. We have a local club that we like to go to. We won't mention names. No names. Every couple of weeks. Anyways. We wouldn't go there every fortnight, but maybe every three or four weeks. So, we've made a booking for 16. People. With children that would need a high chair. Yeah, so it was 16 chairs and a high chair. So, So then we get there. Right. Mm-hmm. And they put us at the high tables, which the high chair can't sit at. The bar, the bar stools. Yeah. And then we do a quick calculation. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight. And they've given us 12 seats. <laughs> I had chosen to be the driver on this particular night. And I said to Brian, I think I'm going to have a drink. Mm. So, we pivoted. We said, <laughs> manager, can you fix this? And they said, yeah, sure, let's just split the tables. So, then we split the tables and that adds up to 14. <laughs> okay. We're going along fast here. Well, basically what was happening is that you and I were sitting in the corner thinking that there's a few members of the extended family that this was like really going to upset. So, we yeah. were just trying to keep out of the way. Because there was we- a bit of steam popping out of ears. <laughs> Oh, anyway, in the end, we got the, well, we got 15 chairs in the end. Yeah, we got- We, we got, had to have one child on a lap and no child in a in a, in a uh, high, chair. high chair. Sarah, what's been happening in your business this week? Well, I have uh, quite a lot of pop-up 
events coming up for West of the Waves. Um, so I've been busy working on pearl jewellery, working on you know, looks for stalls at these different events, making sure that I've got everything in my calendar, making sure I've got enough stock. So, yeah, basically it's been all pearls, pearls, pearls this week. And we got oysters this week as well. Uh, we did too, actually. Brian's hey, got pearls a, and oysters. a friend with an oyster uh, lease and we ended up with a few dozen oysters so that is nice. I wonder whether or not we'll get any pearls out of those. No, well, you just never know just your luck. Just never know. I mean, I am lucky, so we'll see how I go. I'll keep you up to date, listeners. Right, I see. Have you ever needed to pivot? Oh, my God. Only about 50,000 times. 50,000 times. I feel like that is probably an understatement too. I think I do all the time. I think that um, I don't think that people even realise when they're doing it sometimes. Oh. Could you explain what a pivot would look like to me? Like a business pivot? Yeah. Okay. So, say you have... um, ordered a product in and then that product uh, you thought it was going to be really popular and maybe it's not. Mm -hmm. Then what do you do with that excess stock? or (laughs) Probably not the most profitable idea, Brian. Or, you know, all of a sudden COVID hits. So, say you're you're a restaurant, right? And you're used to having people come into your restaurant. That is how you've always done business in the past. And then all of a sudden COVID comes along. You can no longer serve patrons in your restaurant, how are you then going to pivot so you continue to make money, you might turn to takeaway Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. So, that's what a pivot is. A pivot is essentially that, you know, a roadblock comes up for you and you need to work out how you're going to continue to be able to grow your business, you know, in light of the changes that have happened in the environment around you. Yeah, so you're taking a step sideways and moving forward, not going backwards. Yes, correct. Well, that's the aim anyway. A bit like touch footy. <laughs> For the listeners, Brian is one of those people who has continued to play sport after he finished school. You're not really playing touch at the moment, so I don't think that you can claim that you're still playing. Well, um, look, I uh, I went to the touch fields the other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. So that's that's a big step. That is a big step. So can you ex- please explain the difference between a small pivot and a large pivot? Oh, look, well I think uh COVID is a pretty large pivot or oh, you know I like- just brushed it past. <laughs> Uh, We all had to make some serious changes to how we did business during that time. But there's so many businesses that are just thriving um, through what would be like one of the most difficult times in recent history. Is a major pivot where there's a a large influence and Mm -hmm. and then you've got to go in a completely different direction or a minor pivot. Is that something that it's just a little road or a speed bump? And you just have to do something to get past it and then you go back onto the same track? Yeah, I think that's probably a good way of describing it. So, in our conversation with Sarah that's coming up, uh, she has actually had some pretty major pivots in her life. She was on track to be an Olympic figure skater and then she suffered some pretty bad injuries and was not able to continue to pursue that path. Um, She was then working in Hong Kong and she was working in aviation 
and COVID came along and they were, you know, parking planes in other countries and all of those sorts of things. And then she went on holidays from Hong Kong back to America and has actually basically changed everything uh, and is now like packing up her life in Hong Kong and moving continents again. So she's had some pretty major pivots in her life. But I think as you were describing before, Brian, the difference between a major pivot and a minor pivot is that a major is something that changes the complete direction that you were headed in, the complete course of your business, uh, maybe the product that you were selling, the service that you were selling. It's a complete change of how you do business. Whereas a minor change is just a little speed bump. Um, You might have to make a few quick changes. It's not ideal, but you are able to continue on the path that you were on. Very good. So... Where does all this fit into your attract, convert, and deliver model you talk about? Uh, I think I think it pretty much fits into all of them, really. I mm-hmm. mean, you can need to pivot in how you are attracting a customer to your business. Uh, I mean, I had to do that when my social media was hacked. I had to do a major pivot of how I was going to attract people to my website because yeah. my social media was gone how you're converting a sale. So that can be continuous. It can be just little pivots all the time, adding a new product to your store, Mm -hmm. adding a new service to your store and delivery. I mean, delivery, if you need to employ a new staff member or if you need to get a new computer system or a new website application to help deliver your products and services, there's, you know, major and minor pivots happening all the time. Okay. Thanks for that, Sarah. So how do you know when to pivot? When trying to attract someone. So, how do you know? Have you got lead indicators or something or what is it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, when something happens like your social media gets hacked and you therefore don't have any traffic coming in from your social media, you need to take some pretty drastic action. But when you say lead indicators, I mean, looking at the traffic that is coming into your website is a lead indicator. If you've got a gauge on how much traffic you see coming to your website every day and then you either see, you know, you see a drop off in that or you might even see a pick up in it. And just having a gauge on those numbers helps you to then take an action. If your numbers were to drop off with your traffic, you would then reasonably expect to see a drop in your sales. Mm -hmm. So if you see your traffic dropping off, That is a lead indicator that your sales are going to drop. So at that point in time, you need to take action to get more traffic to your store so that your sales don't drop. If your traffic kicks up and which would obviously be a good problem to have, you know, a first class problem, you might then see that you'll you'll be having an increase in your sales and then you might have a conversion or a delivery problem where you might need to pivot. You know, a delivery problem could even be so much as you don't have the packing materials that you need to be able to pack all of that stock or you don't have um, enough space to store all of that stock. Mm -hmm. But the lead indicator would be for attraction would be your traffic. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's even really good to understand where the traffic is coming from. If the traffic is coming from email marketing, if it's coming from social media, if it's coming from a podcast, if it's coming from, you know, a TV ad that you've put out to understand your traffic 
you then get a gauge on if it's dropped off, what could you do to make a positive impact on that and and get the traffic going back up again? Mm, very good. That's a lot of what we teach and talk about and strategize in the, the e-com course because, like I said, like sales are almost like a lag indicator. Once the money has hit your bank, there's not much that you can actually do about that because it has already happened. The place where you can take action is back on those lead indicators like your traffic. If you see that that has dropped off, that's the time to take some action, not when you get to the end of the month and you look at your sales figures and you think, oh, is that all they're I'm- down. <laughs> mm, very good. Do you always realize that you've taken a pivot or you've done a pivot? Oh, probably not. No? I mean, I think if it's major, of course you do, but just little things happen all the time. Um, People are really resilient and they're creative and business owners are pivoting all the time and making changes. You know, go back to the example of a restaurant. They, They might be changing the menu, what's on the blackboard out the front. Wines. How they've got the table set up, you know, just to make the place more attractive. And that's in a bricks and mortar type arrangement. But online, you might be changing the menus of how, you know, how searchable your website is. So, business owners are amazing and they're making little tiny changes all the time. And they don't realize, I, I suppose, they don't give themselves enough credit as to how resilient and clever they actually are. Mm. It's a little pat on the back to all those business owners out there. Good on yous. <laughs> We've got to keep the positivity up. That's right. That's what we're here for. Small biz tips and tricks and pats on the back. <laughs> if you need a cheerleader, come to me. I will be your biggest cheerleader. I love che- cheering on small business owners. I think that they're so creative and so fantastic and I just love it. I love everything about small biz. And we'll get a couple of pom-poms out. Yeah, no worries. Right, Righto. Well, now it's time for your chat with Sarah. This episode is brought to you by Marketing Directive. Marketing Directive is your digi-marketing solution with a team of marketing specialists operating remotely to maximize your marketing levers and focus on your business objectives. Explore more at marketingdirective.co. I know I briefly introduced Sarah at the top of the podcast, but I just wanted to tell you a little bit more about her. Sarah has a cool name, obviously. She is the founder of Pivot Point, but she's so, so much more than that. Sarah started out with a dream to become an Olympic figure skater, a dream she worked hard for, and then she got injured. So she pivoted. Sarah then went into aviation and climbed the corporate ladder, but again, she was forced to pivot. I'm so excited about this chat, and I think we are best to leave the story to Sarah. So, Sarah, could we maybe start with where you're based? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Sarah, for having me on your podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. I am a digital nomad at the moment, so you can say that I'm just a global citizen kind of hopping around. I'm currently in South Murray, Australia, and I then have been spending quite a bit of time in California and Austin, Texas this year. Amazing. I really, really love that digital nomad. I feel like I want to be able to add that onto my resume at some point. (laughs) It's certainly a, a, a joy and also a challenge at the same time, especially after living in Hong Kong for the last 10 years. Uh, but it is certainly worthwhile when you own your own business and you do your work online. Amazing. 
So, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about the figure skating to start off with? Because coming from central Queensland, Australia, snow, ice, figure skating, it's not really something I'm overly familiar with other than watching it on the Olympics. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, and that was definitely one of the major sports there. And I started from a a really young age. I was about three years old when I first started figure skating. And we did all the snow sports because we were able to go up to Michigan and Wisconsin and it snows a lot. And so we were doing skiing and, you know, ice skating, sledding, all of the things. And I just fell in love with it as a little girl. And it was a way for me to express myself and get out on that ice and there's this really perfect balance between, and I don't like using the word balance, but just this art form of power and grace at the same time with figure skating. And I didn't have the words to articulate that as a young girl, but it allowed me to really use the strength that I had, build that strength, and then yet still be graceful and go into that feminine. So kind of the masculine feminine energies. And it was just fun. I loved it. Oh, sounds so amazing. So Sarah, how did you, you know, come to leave the sport, I suppose? Yeah, so I was a hardcore, I mean, I was waking up at 3.30 in the morning with my Aladdin alarm clock, eating my Captain Crunch cereal, so American, watching Rocky Bullwinkle cartoons, and then going and skating from 5am till 7.30. I then change in the car on the way to school, go and do school, and then come back afterwards for a few hours to practice again. So it was my entire life. The summers I was there from, you know, 7.30am till 6pm, was doing on ice training, strength, you know, the edge work, power classes, ballet, weight training, all of it. And my goal was, you know, gold at the Olympics. Tara Lipinski was a huge inspiration for me because at that time she was one of the youngest to be able to compete. And it was just everything I lived and breathed and and dreamt about. But unfortunately, I then started to have some inconsistency with my practice, with my jumps. I definitely needed the coaching. (laughs) I liked to goof off a little bit too much and just uh, play around. But I had a transition between coaches right at kind of a key age where when you're hitting puberty, all of a sudden it goes from being fun and expression to everybody's judging me. Right. And at the same time, I also changed the style of skating. I used to do a lot of ice dancing and shows and move more into that USFSA, the United States Figure Skating Association, which is the track that then takes you to the Olympics. And so those two combined factors uh, started to put a lot of pressure on me. I put a lot of pressure on myself. I always wanted to, you know, achieve and I had very high goals and you know, probably also pressure from the people around me growing up. And I started to fall a lot on the ice. And as you can imagine, falling on ice is not exactly uh, good for the body, not great for the joints. And so the inconsistent jumps and my self-doubt started to really play and I really damaged my knees, fell on my tailbone, microfractured my tailbone, and the injuries just became too much to sustain. And so I was basically... Uh, bedridden for about a week in a a lot of pain, wasn't able to walk. And the orthopedic surgeon said to me that if I had another major fall, I'd likely need double knee surgery. And at, you know, just turning 14, my mom was like, this is not worth it anymore. You know, and I started to lose my passion for the sport as well. And really 
disliked it, you know, didn't want to go anymore. And it wasn't just because, you know, of the pain or the thought that I couldn't achieve what I wanted. It was more just that joy had been sucked out of it because of the pressure. Mm -hmm. And so we were moving as a family from Chicago to Sedona, Arizona. And we had this conversation together about, did I want to continue if I did, we would have made arrangements for me to be near Phoenix so that I could have continued my practice at a competitive level. Uh, but I decided that the risk was not worth the reward any longer. I had to channel that passion into something different. And so I decided uh, to hang up the, the skating boots and channel that energy into something else. Yeah, amazing. And isn't it so lovely that you had that you know, support from your mom at that time to help you make a decision in such a loving and caring way. Yeah, it was something that really stuck with me as well, because it was this message of, it's okay to change and do something different, but it has to be your choice, right? And so that really helped set a good foundation for me to be able to pivot later on in life as well. Yeah, definitely. So what came next? How did you then go from that to aviation? So when I was a little girl, um, just learning how to speak, my first words were for star and airplane. My mom realized that I could recognize the difference between the glowing lights that stayed in one place and the ones that moved. And I've always just been, you know, every time there's an airplane, I'm like, oh, what, what kind of plane is that looking up in the sky? And so when I was thinking about, okay, well, what do I do next? Where do I want to put my energy, right? It was aviation. And I had uh, my stepfather had wanted to go to Embry-Riddle and be a pilot. And so that was a bit of an influence as well. I joined a program called Civil Air Patrol, which is an auxiliary Air Force program in the US, Mm -hmm. where you learn the ranking system of the Air Force, you learn all about aviation, its history, you do search and rescue, you know, and so that was something that I really enjoyed. I found my passion again. And it was a bit of a challenge, you know, being a woman in the industry as well was also something that I found to be exciting, albeit challenging. And the school I went to for my university was an aeronautical university. And at that time, I was one in 10. So one female and 10 people, uh, you know, one to nine ratio, Mm -hmm. female to male. And uh, it was just, it gave me that spark again that I had with skating And it allowed me to really explore, you know, being up in the sky and exploring the stars was always something that I loved, you know, going to the planetarium as a kid. And so that's where I channeled all the energy into. Yeah, absolutely. There was another little pivot in there, though, because you would have liked to have been a fighter jet pilot, but that wasn't possible. (laughs) So I I love the Civil Air Patrol that, you know, the structure of the, the military aspect and the order Uh, the discipline was something that I really connected to from the figure skating days. Mm -hmm. But I don't do so well with authority. I like to do what I want. You know, I'm more of a ask for forgiveness and ask for permission type of person. So I quickly realized that that probably wasn't the best path aligned for me. But also my eyesight, I used to wear glasses, I had like a negative five point something eyesight. And I've since had LASIK, but knowing the career path of a fighter pilot is, is the extreme of the extreme, right? And the, the G-forces and everything that you have to go through training wise, I knew I'd likely be flushed out just due to that. And yeah. so I decided to go the civilian route instead of the military route, because I was not as excited about flying a C-130 or, or anything like that. Yeah. 
I can understand that. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever spoken to a fighter jet pilot though before. <laughs> it is it is pretty cool. They do have a bit of an ego though. So maybe it's a good thing I didn't do that because I would have had to, to peel back some more layers in, in my journey later on in life. But, uh, you know, it's it's a fantastic career path and it takes a lot of energy and, and education, which is something I know you and I both are fans of. Yeah. So you then found yourself working in the business jet arena and moving to Hong Kong. Correct. So when I graduated, I went to um, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. I got a bachelor's degree in aviation business administration. So essentially a business degree focusing on aviation. So my, my core concentration was airport management. And mm-hmm. then I did a minor in Asian studies. So I learned about the different cultures in Asia and learned how to read, write, and speak Mandarin, Chinese. And when I first graduated, I really thought that I was going to either work for an airport or work for some massive aerospace defense company like Raytheon or Boeing or Lockheed Martin. And my first job was with a local helicopter flight school. I had written a strategic management plan for them in my senior year, and they loved it so much that they created a position and hired me. So can you imagine like how over the moon I was feeling like on top of the world, like, oh, yes, I know what I'm doing, <laughs> right? They've created this position for me. Yeah. When I graduated, it was 2008. And mm-hmm. so very quickly later in the year, the global financial crisis happened my position was eliminated along with many others. And, you know, I was the tender age of 20. So I thought the world was ending and I would never get another good job again. And, you know, it was just terrible, terrible, terrible. But my mentor said to me, you know, this is the best thing that could have happened to you, especially very early on in your career, because imagine you were 20 years on in your career and all of a sudden your job was gone. Now you will learn how to build yourself back up again from a strong foundation. And little did I know how poignant his advice would come in 2020. (laughs) So from there, I had a job offer from a company in Los Angeles. There was a private jet company. They had aircraft in Hong Kong and Singapore. And so the language aspect of my degree really uh, appealed to them. So they hired me. Uh, A couple of years later, I was sent out to Singapore to hire the team and train them, build up that office and use that language. And I just fell in love with it. You know, it was a great experience. I realized very quickly that I enjoyed being in Asia in the different countries and using the language. So I decided to stay there and um, found my own way, started studying the language more in depth so that I could become more fluent and then was offered a position in Beijing where I then uh, started working for Asian-based companies rather than an American firm that sent me abroad in 2011. Amazing. So we've gone through quite a number of fairly significant pivots (laughs) up until this point in your career. And then we had COVID. So what, what happened next to lead you to what you're doing now? So with 2020, COVID came just shortly after Chinese New Year. And it's, you know, COVID is one of those global events that we all kind of remember where we were in life and what we were doing Mm -hmm. and where I was in my career. You know, I had built this fantastic career, climbed that corporate ladder. You know, I was a regional director of Asia Pacific, managing 12 countries, doing the flight operations, uh, and then moved into an international business role, developing new locations. 
And it was great. It was, you know, super high powered. I was traveling all the time and it was great until it wasn't. And I was really getting jaded. I was tired of living out of a suitcase. My relationships were suffering because I was hiding in my work instead of facing different things I needed to in my personal life. And the typical story of an ambitious woman in a male dominated industry, I became very masculine in my approach and in my energy and shut down all the feminine stuff because I thought Mm -hmm. what was necessary. And sure, it worked. It got me to where I was, but it made my personal relationship suffer and I was suffering. So I was feeling very alone, you know, just separated from my ex-husband. We were married for a very short period of time, realized I didn't know who I was anymore, what made me tick, what gave me joy. And it was you know, I had kind of been consumed by this lifestyle of keeping up with the Joneses and doing things for other people. Mm. And so within the business aviation world, it's very dynamic. It's very fast paced and I love to learn. So it was a great energy for me, for me to be in, but I was no longer satisfied with what I was doing and where I derived the most satisfaction was in working with the people. So in developing yeah. my own teams and training them and the coaching programs I was put into to then bring back to the corporate space. And I had been doing that for 10 years. And I started to realize that that's where I got the most fulfillment and satisfaction from. Mm -hmm. So when COVID happened, being in Asia, we were hit first as well, because all of the people who owned business jet aircraft decided, oh, well, we'll just leave Asia, right? We'll outrun it. We'll go to America or Australia or Europe and just go for a long holiday, visit our families, do business over there. And we'll come back when it's over. Well, it didn't happen that way, as we all know now, know, right? Right. But the company I worked for, where we were on the food chain, if you will, the supply chain was the very bottom. We were p- providing services on the ground and in flight to aircraft. So if planes don't fly, you can't make any money. And with borders being shut, I couldn't open new locations. Conferences were canceled. So the value I could bring to the table for the firm was all the way down. And they had to go into crisis survival mode. But this Mm -hmm. time I recognized it. So I remembered that voice of my mentor and I started to see, oh, something's going to happen here. If it's not my own choosing, you know, I'd been every month kind of looking at my finances like, oh, one more month. That golden carrot was really, you know, a big, I I really wanted it, right? I would spend the money, buy another holiday. And so I just never took the plunge. So COVID kind of pushed me out of the baby bird's nest. And uh, gave me that opportunity to do something different. And so that's when I went all in on the coaching. Um, And as I was exiting the industry and, you know, doing my networking and goodbyes to people, letting them know what I was up to, I had a lot of people questioning me, asking, hey, what about being a coach? You know, you're really great with, with people. Your teams are awesome. You know, I tell you things I never thought I would tell anybody. I feel so safe with you. And so that was a real good indicator that I was on the right path and that this would be something that would really align with the people in my sphere as well. Amazing. So tell us about Pivot Point. What is it that you offer to people? Yeah, absolutely. So within Pivot Point as well, from when I first launched two years ago till now, there's been some pivots. Uh, but what, what I'm doing essentially is I'm working with people who are in that catalyst of change. They're at that moment of pivoting and there's all these opportunities in front of them. But most of the time people look at what's directly in front of them. So they have a very narrow band, a very narrow view of what's possible. And they're forgetting about not only the 180, but also the 360 degrees, right? Just 
we can continue in the same direction we've been. We can even just go one degree and start. But most people think it has to be a 180 flip or it has to be exactly the same thing. And they forget about all those other degrees. So what I really do is I focus on women who are radically responsible. They're in that catalyst. They feel this responsibility to themselves, to the people around them, and helping them becoming action-taken leaders without second-guessing themselves. And we use a variety of self-acceptance and neuroscience tools to make sure that this responsibility that they feel spurs them into action rather than keeping them paralyzed in inaction. Absolutely. That's so great. And you work with people all over the world, don't you, Sarah? I do. Yeah. A lot of my um, core clients have started from Hong Kong since that's where I've been the last 10 years, but I've now got a call time that supports Europe and the London time zone uh, as well as the US. And so as I continually pivot and expand my digital nomad lifestyle and hop around the globe, you know, I'm making sure that I'm addressing these key areas so that people can always access the material in the course. Yeah. Now, I know that sometimes when people look at uh, ask you, people who have made a massive career change and are doing the thing while they're still back at the starting blocks thinking how how do I start? They can sometimes fall into the trap where they think it it has been easy. This has not been an easy transition, has it? (laughs) (laughs) Not to be negative. (laughs) Yeah, there have been many times where I've just wanted to be like, fuck it, I'm done. Like, let me go get a job again. And then like 30 seconds later, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) No. There's been tears. There's been frustration, there's been throwing of mobile devices, there's been stomping of feet, can I do it, the self-doubt, the imposter syndrome, the picking myself back up off the ground, it's like that Chumbawamba song, do you remember? I get knocked down, I get up again, (laughs) never get me down. That's pretty much what it's like being an entrepreneur. So no, it's not been an easy path, there are sticky moments, sometimes it's like going through molasses, and then there's moments where you realize, hey, I can choose to be in this molasses or I can also allow it to be easy. So it's rewiring of what we think is possible, right? Working from a new paradigm and success being our starting point, not our end point. Absolutely. And would you change it? No. You know, I I would, of course, we all think like, oh, I don't want to go through all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, all of the experiences I had, to build up pivot point to get to where I'm at as Sarah the Pivoter and have these life experiences, I wouldn't be here without those sticky moments, without that frustration. And so it's really been in learning to accept the entire process, that entire journey, and find the limit and serve in everything. Because guess what? When you're really happy and you're really fulfilled, it's great. It feels good. But there's also a limit there because you don't want to do anything different. You want it to continue forever. So maybe you stop doing some of the things that you need for your own evolution, your own growth. And I'm not just talking about your business. I'm talking about you as a human being. Hmm. Yeah, as a human. So Sarah, we talk a lot in uh, you know small business about the attract, convert and deliver model. Where do you think you're sitting within that at the moment with your business? I would say that I'm in this I've been in the delivery phase and Mm -hmm. really enjoying that. Now I've gone up a level and I'm now back in the kind of later stages of attraction moving into Mm -hmm. conversion because I've 
been running my success with Sarah the Pivoter program successfully, <laughs> pun intended, um, <laughs> since I launched it last year. And through that, there's been an evolution in terms of who I'm attracting, not only because of the content, but also as I grow and evolve and show up differently, it's attracting a different type of person. And I'm about to launch my next level program, which is Success on Tap, the Alchemist Portal. And this is where we move from the 90-day model of intense transformational work to a year-long model where you're still getting that first 90 days. That's a requirement of the second program. But now we're integrating that over the period of a year so that you're making it part of your psyche. And it's the reason why I'm doing that is because the same reason why when you hire a personal trainer and you do a 90-day body transformation, it's great. You get epic results. But do you keep those results? after you leave the coach and after you go off back into your old environment? Usually not really, right? Most mm-hmm. of us start sneaking back in the chocolate and the snacks and, you know, not going to the gym all oh, one day won't matter. And then that turns into two days and three days. So making sure that people have that support, that energy, that community support as well, not just me, but that community where they have people that they can turn to, that they can integrate this into their lifestyle because it really is about integration. As we up-level, as we evolve, we need to integrate these new aspects into our environment, into our communities so that we can sustain them. You know, for me, it's all about how do we keep this going? I don't want to be having this huge upcycle and then down mood. I want to have a more level set of waves, if you will, Mm -hmm. to pull in west of the waves here and make sure that I can continue to ride those waves for a longer period of time rather than drowning under that huge crash from the big one that I was just on top of. Absolutely. That's such a good, you know, view to have on it. But one of the things that I love about what you're saying, though, is the recognition that when you're in the delivery phase, you very quickly need to go back into the attraction phase. And once you're in the attraction phase, you'll then need to start looking forward to, you know, the conversion space. It's It doesn't matter if you are selling earrings at a market or if you are a global mining company, the principles of how you move through, you know, attracting, attracting business, converting business and then delivering. And then very quickly, you need to move back into the next phase again. And it's just so great to point out to the listeners that it doesn't matter what you're doing. The process is still the same. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's how you can transfer it across. If you change industries, if you change businesses, understanding that as you go through these phases, you know, it's, it's like blood moving in the body, right? It Mm. has to keep moving. Otherwise you get sick, right? Stagnant blood in the body is like stagnant water. It will start to develop muck and dis-ease. And so the same thing goes in your business. If you are stuck at any one of these points, that's where then you know, you feel that frustration because you're trying to stay there. So what I mentioned before about that being stuck in happiness makes you not want to move. Stuck happiness is still being stuck. Yeah. And so understanding that as we go through the layers, this is like a spiral, right? Then there's something called spiral learning as well. As you go deeper and deeper, you might experience the same exact situation, but you now have a new awareness of it you can see more of it, you can understand. And so you can handle more. 
than you Mm -hmm. could the last time you were in that position. Yeah. And that can be even as simple as just reading a book. And then in, in three months time, you pick up the same book and you read it again. And I've done this. You pick up something new. I have one book that I read every year. And every time I read that book, I get something new out of it because I'm different because how I'm understanding it is different because of the experience that I've had in that period of time. So Sarah, the final thing that I wanted to ask you today was what is your best small business hack? Best small business hack. I would say the best small business hack is to take action. As you go through your business, you're going to evolve and change and do different things. And so what you do today is not going to be the same thing as you do tomorrow or in a year from now. But if you're thinking about a year from now's actions, you'll never do today's actions. So the best thing you can do is take one tiny little action and do it from a place of feeling great. So figuring out for yourself what feels good and what doesn't feel good. Do the things that feel good so that you can get that momentum and that will help you to have the snowball effect in a positive way. And then you can outsource or leverage the things that don't make you feel good. Because at the end of the day, every time you take an action, you're going to feel a feeling, and then you're going to make a judgment about that feeling. And that judgment based on your perception might be good or bad. Maybe the next day, the same exact action, you'll have a different feeling and a different judgment. So learning to just being a, to take that small step rather than trying to take a huge one right? We want to crawl before we can walk. So just move forward a little tiny bit, see how it feels there. And then you can pivot into a new direction based on the the data and feedback you get. Absolutely. Such great advice. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I have really enjoyed our chat and um, we will make sure that we pop it into the show notes, but can you just quickly tell everybody where they can find you if they want to get in touch or they want to follow your journey? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. So it's really difficult. SarahCalmetta.com is my website. <laughs> uh, you can also, you know, search my name on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram as at Sarah the Pivoter or on Facebook. And on Facebook, I also have a community that I'm building up for people who are looking to get shit done, uh, but they're tired of all the external pulls on their energy. And so it's a Jedi group. So if you're a fan of Star Wars, come on in there and play. I also do some uh, epic interviews there. I just interviewed Sarah, in fact. So that video is there in the group if you'd like to join us and then watch the uh, the other way around the pivot where I interview Sarah Hills. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Sarah, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I hope some new people join onto your group because it's such a great group to follow. And I am super inspired by you and your digital nomad lifestyle. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here, Sarah. Okay, for today's wrap-up snap, because we've got a few questions. Oh, yes. I note that your energy the, levels are down on introducing the wrap-up snap. Well, please. you give me a tune-up earlier in this podcast that people <laughs> won't hear because it'll be cut out. <laughs> uh, oh, okay, so... You were off track, so I had to rein you back in. What everybody needs to really understand is that I'm never off track. It's just <laughs> no one's on the same path as me. <laughs> oh, dear. And is a big pivot moving states? Yeah, I'd say so. Like what states? What are you talking like, moving to New South Wales or something? Yeah, is that a big pivot? I would think it would be. 
Because uh, I was ready to pack up and go to Colorado. Colorado. God, righto. Yeah. I'll be in that. Just not sure if there's any crabbing over there. No, I don't think so. See, I've yeah, traveled a lot. I have to go to Florida. I've traveled a lot and I love, love, love traveling. But when you come back to Australia, I always love that too. I miss Australia mm. when I'm not here. Isn't there a song that they play on when you're coming in Qantas? Yeah, I still call Australia home. They've just redone it. They had that on Australia. the... Okay, no singing. Okay, I'm going to get a few call-ups there. <laughs> They've just redone it. I saw it, a glimpse of it or something on Weekend Sunrise and um, yeah, yeah. they've just redone the Qantas song. So. All right, next question. How many times do you think you've pivoted in your relationship with me? Oh, God. Where did that question come from? Uh, like about probably 50,000. Oh, I've never had to pivot. Oh, God. You're what? just an angel to live with. <laughs> I don't understand why you're laughing so much. <sighs> Thank you. I'm appreciative of that compliment. <laughs> I can't hold it anymore. Okay, so were those positive pivots? Um, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's uh, a little bit of a underestimate. I don't know know what you're asking me. Do I need to pivot more? Yes. (laughs) I don't understand why. Well, you need to learn how to wash some clothes. That'd be a good pivot. Okay. Okay. Let's let's get this out there, people. I lived by myself for a very long time, and I can do that. She's trying to run me down. <laughs> I can wash my own clothes. I can hang them out, and I can iron them. You just don't do it properly. <laughs> anyway, have you got any actual questions? No, that's about it. <laughs> God. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you have enjoyed today's chat with Sarah. I was so excited to have her on the podcast. And make sure you jump on to our Instagram page at the Ecom Hub um, and send us a message, send us some feedback, ask us some questions. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll be chatting to you again next week. Bye-bye. See you, everyone. Thanks for listening to All Things Small Biz. You can get more tips and find out about all the latest stuff we've got going on at the Ecom Hub on Instagram and Facebook. That's at the underscore E-C-O-M-M underscore H-U-B. Thanks so much for listening.